Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Dr. Jessica Rose, a Canadian researcher with a bachelor's degree in applied mathematics and a master's degree in immunology from Memorial University of Newfoundland. She also holds a PhD in computational biology from Bar Ilan University and two postdoctoral degrees, one in molecular biology from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem and one in biochemistry from the Technion Institute of Technology. She was also accepted for a two-month program as a senior researcher at the Wiseman Institute prior to completion of her latest postdoctoral degree at Technion. Her more recent research efforts are aimed at descriptive analyses of the vaccine adverse reporting system data in efforts to make this data accessible to the public. Her more recent research efforts are aimed at descriptive analyses of the vaccine adverse event reporting system VAERS data in efforts to make this data accessible to the public. I welcome Jessica Rose to Savage Minds. I would like if you could start off by telling our listeners who you are and how you got involved in the debate around the COVID vaccines and the reporting of vaccine adverse events, such as the VARA system in the U.S., the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting Systems Database. Yeah, sure. Um, but, but I'd like to uh, say on the record that I don't think there is a debate um, these products uh, were not tested for an appropriate amount of time for safety, and we don't have appropriate safety data with regard to the COVID-19 injectable products. So I don't think there's a debate about whether or not they're safe and effective. They are neither. Um, so I feel kind of qualified to talk about it. Um, I I am uh, a researcher, a Canadian researcher. I've got a few degrees under my belt. Um, Immunology and computational biology are two. Uh, I also have molecular bi biology, applied mathematics, and biochem. So I've dipped my feet in a few ponds. Um, as par for the course, I have analyzed a whole lot of data. And the reason I'm doing this now is because I kind of, um, I, I fell into it, uh, not by accident, it was kind of by nature. Um, I was meant to travel to Australia during the time when they declared the pandemic, and I had to change my plans, clearly, because we weren't allowed to uh, to fly with ease. And I noticed, um, you know, I was alarmed when they first announced that there was a new zoonotic pathogen, etc. Um, but it took me about 10 days to see that uh, it wasn't really about public health that the authorities were concerned with. It was more about controlling the public. Um, so yeah, I started digging a little deeper and I also gave myself a project to teach myself how to use R, which is a statistical programming language. And um, so that's how VARES came into it. I, I knew because they hadn't safety tested these um, this new technology that they're calling vaccines um, that there were going to be problems. I mean, it was, <laughs> I was hoping there wouldn't be, but it, it seemed like a no-brainer that there might be because we have no idea what the effects are going to be. And so um, I turned my antenna to theirs, which is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System for the United States. And it, it's just incredible what VAERS is revealing now. VAERS has been in existence long before the COVID vaccines came about. There was always debate by people who were anti-vax about this system. They seem to view the VAERS system as not being transparent. Is that true? What are your thoughts on that system itself? 
Uh, I don't think it's about transparency with VAERS. Um, VAERS is antiquated. If if there was a major problem with VAERS, uh, besides there being like two sets of books or maybe even three, um, it's the underreporting factor, um, which is the number that you have to multiply the reports that are actually filed by in order to get a real number. And just to put this into perspective, for the last 30 years, the average number, uh, total number of adverse event reports that have been filed to VAERS for the entire year for all of the vaccines combined was 39,000 approximately. And in just 2021 alone, in the context of three products for the COVID stuff, the Moderna, the Pfizer, and the Janssen, we were looking at over 700,000. So, and that's just the domestic data. Uh, there are two two separate data sets uh, associated with VAERS. There's foreign and domestic. So the domestic data set represents just the reports filed within the United States, and the foreign represents reports filed to pharmaceutical companies by people outside of the U.S., um, who are likely Americans, maybe not, and subsequently filed to VAERS. So if you compare 39,000 with uh, 700,000 plus, it's, it's much higher than that now, um, there is no comparison, and you're also comparing uh, something like 80 products to three of the same type. So it's it, it, there's something very, very um, off, atypical about these products in terms of the number of uh, adverse events, the absolute number, and also the range of types of adverse events involved. Um, I've done a comparative analysis of that as well, and so. Every way that VAERS uh, can send off a safety signal, it is. Like, you don't have to be selective. You can pick death. You can pick a neurological condition like Bell's palsy. You can pick um, myocarditis. You, you can pick whatever you want and compare it to the last 30 years. You can even just use 10 for all vaccines combined, and you will not get anything remotely close to what we've had in the past. So... That's precisely what VAERS is for, and it's working really well at showing us that. The problem is the owners of the data are ignoring the safety signals. You said earlier that there is no debate about this vaccine, but as you know, legacy media is saying the opposite. In fact, we're the crazy ones who question the vaccines. It's very easy to understand why this is happening because of the links between big pharma the insurance industry, testing companies, pharmaceutical companies that are paid to come up with these, not only the vaccines, but the, there are PR companies around the pharmaceutical companies that also let us know that it's safe, including Biden himself. This was the guy who wished that people who were not vaccinated would die, right? So we're in an ideological war where we're being fed one truth. But these people believe that your voice is dangerous to their health and safety. They believe that what you're saying will result in their family, not just their grandmother and grandfather, but their families dying. What do you say to them? Because there are a lot of people who think that we are tinfoil hatters. Um, uh, well, I have a lot to say about what you just said. Um, but I think overall, um, I'd like to address uh, word choice. I, I don't know if there's any such thing as um, someone who's anti-vaccine, and I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. I think there are a whole lot of people 
who are um, anti-bad science and anti-fraud and anti-unsafe products. So I, I think that trying to lump people together by calling them things like anti-vaxxers and conspiracy theorists and foil hat wearers is, is not something that anyone should respond to at all. I know how hard it is. Um, I'm in a position now where, you know, you, I get called a lot of names. I, I don't feed that energy because it's, these are ad hominem attacks. They don't have basis or merit. They certainly don't have scientific or factual backing. So um, I, I, I don't mean to sound crass, but I try not to talk to people who who maintain these attitudes. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to be crass or to cut people off. It's just, it's taken me quite a bit of um, emotional effort and, and restraint to realize that I can't help everyone. And people who aren't ready to hear certain things uh, are not going to be ready if you force them or if you get into a debate with them or argue with them. Now, some people are ready and, and I'm, you know, I think that debates are useful. But in, in this context where we're, we're literally like uh, the majority against a, a very powerful entity, like it's not just the pharmaceutical companies, it's, it's like there's something much larger going on here controlling this situation and it's very, very powerful. So um, it's best to, I, I kind of lost my thought, but I'll just flow with it. It's best to just focus our attention, attention on addressing and acknowledging who the enemy actually is it's not each other <laughs> and it's it's the it's it's these 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 big goliaths that we're fighting um that are controlling like you said the legacy media um it's it's a it's a revolving door you know uh i'll pay you you pay me everyone gets richer within this very small group of people and and the masses are just kind of left in the dark and get poorer and poorer um so yeah, it's 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 so much more than the so-called um, debate about COVID, isn't it? I mean, it's 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 basic human rights and freedoms that have been attacked here. I mean, this has literally been an attack on humanity in the last two years, in my opinion, um, where science has been put aside. I mean, real science, um, where true debate has been absolved. I mean it's their way or the highway type attitude, which, which is so, it's so contrary to the heart and soul of anybody who's really interested in, in nature and in science and in discovery. It's um, so, yeah, that, that's why a lot of us are speaking out. It's, it's not because we're like brave or anything. It's because we, we don't know any other way. It's like, that's wrong. And, you know, my, my, course of action has always been to try and get to the bottom of things and to to try and you know do the best experiments as possible and present them to the public in order to get to something more correct or right but you know yeah it, it's um I think that's the driving force for most of us I think that answers the first question you asked me <laughs> it's interesting because uh, in many of the talks that I have with people about various subjects there's often a common thread when it comes to human rights issues and the whitewashing by the media 
of human rights issues. And it's all, to me, linked back to the suspension post 9-11 of habeas corpus. And it's quite interesting that when you could suspend certain rights of a certain group of people, how easy it is to expand that to all of us. I was in the first lockdown country in the West. Nobody questioned it. Nobody. Everyone was just like grandmother, grandfather. It was almost like a catechism. And it, it's mm -hmm. amazing how easy it is to get people around. I mean, Fauci's legacy in my mind, aside from all the other things he's done that have become public in the biography written about him and many conflicts of interest, not just his, but there are conflicts of interest in the way that the FDA, Big Pharma, operate together. We see this also in the agrotech industry and the FDA as well. And it's not just that. It's the fact that he codified this phrase that is Orwellian, and it's the science. Anyone who works in science for two seconds know science is not a monolith. It's not the, and it's a process. It's never frozen by one the. <laughs> it's something that changes because of new data. And somehow Fauci got away with this very totalitarian hold on the science. And that became this goose step for a lot of people who just folded in seeing what you've done in the paper, especially from November 2021 that you co-authored with Peter McCullough called A Report on Myocarditis Adverse Events in the U.S. Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System in Association with COVID-19 Injectable Biological Products. You may a very strong argument. Can you explain what you said out there and why that paper was pulled? <laughs> uh, yeah, I can try. And, and well said, by the way, on everything you just said. Um, yeah, I can try, but I, I honestly still don't know. It's It remains in limbo after being um, so-called withdrawn. I hate that word. It's not strong enough. But um, yeah, so I, I've penned three papers. The third one was in collaboration with Peter McCullough because it was on myocarditis. I'm not a cardiologist, so I wanted one with a strong background and, and publication record, et cetera, um, to confirm what I found and to add you know, some cardiology bits. And so yeah, we, we penned that together. It was non-controversial. It was literally just pulling out the VAERS, uh, the myocarditis reports in VAERS from the domestic data set and counting them and showing how they were dis distributed by age and um, uh, by dose, et cetera. So it was just literally showing what VAERS had in it. <laughs> it's public. It's a public database. So it was not controversial. Um, what we found was that... Um, the highest frequency of reporting of myocarditis was in 15-year-olds, males, actually, um, after the second dose. Um, th there's a now infamous plot from that paper that I have on my website, Jessica's Universe, that I update every week, uh, which has not changed this, this dose two response. Um, it shows it showed at the time uh, a five to six fold uh, increase in reporting of myocarditis in 15 year olds following dose two. Um, you do not see this with any other adverse event. This was unique um, to, to this subset of people and to myocarditis. Um, so it was a significant finding. And so 
the really um, annoying part, well, besides the entire thing, was that it got published. It was peer reviewed, it was published, it was accepted. We paid our fees, we paid extra for color images. Um, and five days before I was meant to speak at an FDA hearing, uh, I, I was one of the people that had three minutes to talk. Uh, the paper was uh, temporarily withdrawn, was the label that was put beside the title. We were told initially that um, they were reconsidering publishing it. And we were like, what? You know, <laughs> it, it was very, very strange. And neither of us had been informed. We just, both of them, both of us found out by um, by secondhand parties letting us know that, you know, there was something wrong with our paper. So Peter said, reinstate the paper. We were, we are in a contract. We paid our fees or, you know, we'll sue, something like that. And um, so a week later, they changed it to withdrawn. And they said, we've decided not to publish the paper because we don't have to. So they're, they're, the basis of their withdrawal, and it was them who withdrew the paper, not us, um, was that they could. That was literally the reason. There was nothing wrong with the findings. There was no one complaining about the content. It was nothing like that. It was just they decided they didn't want to publish it. What does that sound like to you? So you'll you'll be interested to know that this meeting for the FDA hearing at the FDA hearing that I was meant to speak at was to address whether or not we should put these COVID injectable products into five to eleven year olds. So imagine my paper had stayed. It was really popular, really popular before it was even like fully printed, it had like tens of thousands of uh, readers, uh, reads and downloads. So yeah, um, it, it didn't end up reaching um, the millions and millions of people that it would have reached. And unfortunately, I, I actually do believe that, that if the paper had been left alone, um, it, it might've actually saved a lot of people, um, a lot of physical trauma um, because it would have been readable by the parents, by the cardiologists, by the pediatricians, by the data scientists, by whomever. Um, so yeah, it's it's tragic. And um, again, I I can't say what the status is because I don't know. It's in limbo now still. So um, uh, both Peter and I are very very busy. So I suppose. Uh, you know, we we might opt to try and republish it somewhere else. But again, like I said, the damage is uh, a lot of the da the damage has been done. It's very daunting when you consider the power of Fauci, the power of certain individuals to decide who gets what position, what funding, what gets printed, what's not. You know, and there's a stream going through all this, right? Because your paper is not fiction. You didn't make up what you wrote and what you reported in your paper. Have there been other similar studies that have found similar results? Oh man, the, the case the case studies and the other publications that are starting to roll in, literally just saying what we said over a year ago, confirming our findings, it's, they're just one after the other now. I mean, it's, it's to be expected, right? Because I'm not saying, you know, that we were right about it anything. It's just that, it's just what you said. Um, we were literally just counting the numbers in a government database. We, we were not, 
it wasn't even an analysis. It was just a descriptive analysis. Like it was counting. <laughs> I mean, it was, um, there was no speculation. There was no, um, you know, uh, what's that word? Um, prediction. It, it, there was no modeling. It was nothing like that. Um, so, and, and, and I think it's important that everybody understand maybe from my point of view, because basically the only thing I've ever done um, besides waitressing to put myself through school job-wise is academia. And if, if the, the larger entities that are funding everyone, all the grants and, and all the scholarships and all the uh, bursaries, et cetera, um, if they don't like what you want to study as an idea, then you won't get the money for it. It's very, very, very controlled. And that's just the funding. Then when you get to the uh, publication uh, point of it, I mean, I don't think anybody would really believe how bloody corrupt it is. And I think that's one of the um, the beautiful things about what's happened in the last two years, if there are beautiful things, is that this corruption in so many uh, governing bodies, so-called regulatory agencies, um, in academia, et cetera, it, it's really being exposed. And it's not that it hasn't already always been there. It really has. But I think since um, the the gate fell down uh, from, from the, you know, release the the hounds or whatever of covid it's just on steroids now i mean what happened to the fda and and the cdc i i really like to know because i don't think that everybody who works there is a bad person i really don't because i don't think everyone i think most people are good um but it's like what happened to the 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 morals uh what happened to the ethics what happened to the the, the the laws that kind of bind them to do their jobs like their jobs is to protect the public from harmful products that's it so i mean have they ever functioned or are we just seeing them you know i, I don't know i i really don't but i i think you know the exposure of these things is a mixed blessing it's just um it's kind of shocking um to think about how much uh, beautiful science has been done that has never seen the public. You know what I mean? It makes me wonder, like, if it's like this now and we're having so much trouble getting anything published in the way of uh, COVID-19 injectable product injuries, I mean, imagine, imagine all the other papers that never got published in the past. I mean, oh, it's hard to think about. <laughs> So this is why I was asking you about the processes that were involved from the beginning, really, of lockdown and the data that we've been allowed to see. Because as you well know, even recently on Facebook, there are truthful, peer-reviewed reports coming from academic publications that Facebook is warning us not to post. And this is happening because somewhere along the way, as we're now finding out with the Twitter files, Governments came in, we know about the U.S. government, and said, you need to do these things. It wasn't really an order, but it was an implicit order. And many of these big tech companies folded and they did the proofing, the censorship 
of what they felt was theirs to do. The problem is that you've got dumb and dumber in the kitchen and no one is censoring the same stuff. It's amazing to see that certain things I get warnings about on Facebook, I wouldn't get on Twitter, for instance. But this goes back to the very beginning. I don't know if you recall back in February of 2020, early March, the Imperial College was doing modeling. And you remember when Boris said that he wasn't going, initially he wasn't even considering lockdown. And it was strangely an uh, an outcry from people saying that we had to lock down, it would be like China. And early on, the plan was not lockdown. They weren't going to follow China and Italy into lockdown. Recall that? Oh, I recall that. <laughs> and, and and it's amazing how that changed. It was a political shift. And then you have Neil Ferguson. There was a shift there. And we never really understood what that shift was inside of Imperial College, right? Oh. And then it went to the antibody testing versus PCR. Remember those PCR tests? In Italy, it became the Bible. Even though even a year after, when people knew that this was not the best way to test, can you explain why the PCR tests were not the way to go? Because a lot of people still do not understand that. But what they don't understand is important for them to understand because it was the PCR test that was used to ramp up the fear. And that's how people were controlled through the fear. Yeah. Um, wow. And uh, again, a, a lot to uh, to answer there. And Neil Ferguson's a joke, and he's he's responsible for a lot of um, criminal activity and deaths, if you ask me. Um, th- there's uh, some beautiful uh, literature written uh, about him by Matthew Eric. If anybody's interested, um, we can link that after. I'm sure. Um, so. Yeah, I of course I remember February March. Um that's when I was meant to fly. Um I remember very very well. Um the the first thing that I thought um and I actually started proposing to as many people as I could think of to propose it to was that we need antibody tests. Um and I had even suggested to myself um you know because I was thinking about uh ways that we could uh, help each other through this so-called health crisis. This was kind of like back when I still believed there was a problem, was that we could define a system to, um, you know, let each other know that we had recovered from COVID, for example, by wearing like a a festival bracelet that comes off. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about tracking and tracing shit. I'm talking about like those paper things that they put on you when you go to a music festival. (laughs) Just something to like, you know, if it got that far, because that's what they were talking about, right? They were talking about, and I'm not opposed to that. I think, you know, if, if they were actually concerned with public safety and public health, and people still had to go to work and blah, 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 then, you know, this this was uh, an idea. So uh, what happened was <laughs> nobody talked about antibody testing and the test didn't get developed. And I talked to somebody who's in mRNA tech research about this. And she said, well, it's just too expensive. And I'm like, um, and the rest of this stuff is not and what it did to our economy, you know, decimated our entire society everywhere in the world did not cost a lot of money. 
So I, I think that was a ridiculous answer. I still think that the reason they didn't do antibody testing was because it would have been very revealing. Uh, people would have had to accept and acknowledge uh, the concept of natural immunity being the best. You know, once you get SARS, you're recovered, you have antibodies, you're immune for life. But they've also completely tried to dismantle the notion of your of your immune system functioning on its own as well. So in place of all this common sense stuff, um, they brought in this uh, ridiculous PCR crap. And so literally this became a, a pandemic of testing. Um, I have not analyzed any data that has anything to do with cases because I think it's a joke. Uh, because a case is considered to be a case based on these PCR things and also uh, on symptoms, which could be, you know, indicative of anything, including flu, which disappeared. So just so everybody knows, um, a polymerase chain reaction, polymerase or PCR, is, is a technique in a lab to amplify DNA. You can identify things uh, if you sequence something that you've amplified using PCR. This is expensive and time-consuming, and you know, specialized labs do this. Uh, it's not hard to do, but we can do it. But that's not what people have been doing here. Um, this PCR thing has been, uh, the public has been deceived into thinking it's some kind of diagnostic test. It's not a test at all. It's an amplification technique. It's not diagnostic. You cannot tell what, uh, if you have some kind of pathogen that's active in your body using PCR, you cannot. Um, you, you can have fragments of a virus that you've been exposed to in the past. And that will come up by, uh, be amplified by PCR if you catch that DNA. But it has no bearing on whether or not you are currently sick or symptomatic, et cetera, if you, if you know what I'm saying. So this was a total um, debacle. It was a mockery of, of good science. It was a mockery of people. It took advantage of the fact that most people don't really, you know, uh, have backgrounds in in PCR and molecular biology, but Kerry Mullis is is the one who who made it. I mean, he he's the guy, um, and he says it himself. It's not used for diagnostics. What they did, I, I mean, there's so much wrong with it. Like when I say it was a debacle and a mockery, I mean full bore. Okay, so they told most of the the the, the um, instructions given to the tax were doing the PCR reactions were told to use cutoffs that were so high that you would literally pick up everything and amplify everything. So you would always get a positive result. That's why you heard about, you know, the false positive rate being so bloody high. So I, I actually have the memo that was circulated to all the Atlantic provinces in Canada indicating clearly stating to the technicians to use a CT, a cutoff of 45 cycles, which is so ludicrous. The, 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 the amount of the number of cycles that you used to need to use to pick up um, SARS-2 from one of the things that I read, one of the studies um, was 18. So usually it's something like 25. That's that's a safe number of cycles to, to, to go through in order to pick up a, D, a DNA of interest if it's there. 
So they were asking people to use 45, which guaranteed that you would find a positive result, so-called, no matter what the hell you took out of somebody's brain. You know, and those brain swabs are, and I mean, that's a whole other thing. Can you, I'm, I'm asking you not rhetorically now, can you explain to me what the hell that was? I still can't get over that. Like, why and how did anybody let anyone stick something that deep into their head? I, you know, DNA is collected from a swab inside the mouth. What was that? Well, their argument was that the SARS virus is best detected within the nasal cavity. But it's such bullshit. It's ludicrous. It's so contagious that we had to be locked up and wear masks even till today. And everyone had to get injected 16 times. You know, if it's that bloody contagious, they should have been able to pick it up in the mouth, right? Well, you would think so. (laughs) Like they always do. (laughs) Can you walk me back through? If you're saying that 45 cycles instead of 18 or 25 would amplify it, but if it's not there, how could it be amplified? In other words, that was my original question. Is it in such a small quantity amongst many of us walking around that we would never fall ill with it, that it was at a level that we would even be able to be resistant to it? Yeah, well, yeah, of course. I mean, there's also cross-reactivity. Like there are different, um, the primers themselves, they could have picked up uh, other uh, coronaviruses. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I didn't actually do the, the PCR, so I can't remember what the primers are that they used or which sections they were trying to pick up. But um, I'm assuming that it would only pick up SARS-2, but... You're right. It could be picking up uh, fragments uh, or remnants of the exposure that they'd had long ago. And so I'm or it could just be amplifying something that um, that is actually a false positive. So it's it, it doesn't even matter because the, the whole concept is ridiculous and it's not reliable as a technique. Like if you're if you're in a lab and you have the the right primers, and you're amplifying sections of uh, DNA within the SARS genome, the SARS-2 genome, that is exclusive to the SARS-2 genome, and then you sequence it, then you can identify whether or not you have something there. And and, and this is done, like I said, you know, uh, meticulously and carefully in the lab. But to, to say that you're going to do this, that, that your claim is that you're doing that kind of thing, for all of these billions of people, to this day, they're still doing it. It's just so ludicrous. Like I said, it's a pandemic of testing and um, a case means nothing to me. A COVID death means nothing to me because they were writing down COVID deaths, um, you know, uh, no matter what people were coming to the hospital with, apparently. Yeah, it's, it's bogus. Well, governments, a lot of them phased them out very quietly. What happened in Canada with the PCR tests? Yeah, like you said, you know, they're they're being phased out, I suppose. But uh, I mean, I still see it being used um, in order to fly to certain places. Um, they just recently stopped insisting that people needed to do that. Um, I'm absolutely sure they're going to try and impose that again. And just to circle back to what you've already said, the compliance rate for all of this lunacy, which is really just based on people being afraid. I'm not judging anyone. I'm I'm just um, 
I'm absolutely stunned at how easily people did so many things that make no sense to me at all. I mean, I'm not, you know, we don't even have to talk about the injections, but that's, that's just crazy. I mean, last time I checked getting an injection with an experimental product was not a desirable thing to do, even if there is a deadly pathogen. I mean, I, I can tell you with utter certainty, it never once occurred to me to get one of these injections. Uh, and, and that's even when I believed that we were dealing with a zoonotic pathogen that had um, a high kill factor. Um, I, I would always choose natural immunity, no matter what. And, and these temperature guns, I mean, somebody aiming something that's shaped like a gun at your forehead when you walk into a supermarket, I mean... I, I'm sorry, I'm going on a bit of a rant here, but the whole thing has been, it, it's been such a farce. And, and the danger is that um, everybody, I think, is primed now. I think that was the purpose of the whole thing. I think it was a segue into the next stage of, um, of population control, really. I do think that um, centralized digital currencies are coming around the corner, Social credit scores are looming. I mean, um, the uh, the imposition on on these carbon tax imposition things. You know what I mean? I I saw a video today that was pointing out that um, very soon they're going to implement that, and and there are signs everywhere. And I've noticed them. Like if you buy a plane ticket these days, I want everyone to notice. And 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 if you buy uh, stuff from the supermarket that's in a package um just notice if it has this little green mark on it saying how much carbon was used to produce it or how much carbon is going to uh, be expended for your flight and and it's going to have a number attached to it i believe and so very soon i think it's plausible that they're going to be adding up those numbers per person and if you exceed a certain number you will have exceeded your limit and therefore you won't be able to do anything else yeah going on another rant here but i think it's important to kind of bring in why i think all of this happened and what's coming next and what people should be um prepared to say no to quite frankly you're listening to savage minds and we hope you're enjoying the show please consider subscribing we don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. There was an interesting study that has just been published recently in the UK that talks about the shaming that went down in the UK in the early months of COVID, and it unmasks a lot of what has now come to be commonplace for people to shame others. I referred to Biden earlier on because yeah. when he said that, my mouth was agape. I know. But Donald Trump would have been ruined for having said something like that. And we saw this even, well, our good Prime Minister Trudeau. What did he say about people who don't get the vaccine? I mean, this is like other world fascism. This is craziness, what we're seeing in, in Canada. And we're very shocked by what's going on. A hair boy wasn't ever saying anything. He was he was more ranting with, with these like glazed 
like bugged out eyes. I won't sit on a plane beside a vaccinated, an unvaccinated. I mean, what the hell? It's just like what you're saying. Um, it's not just that he said it. He said it in a certain way. Uh, it was very um, insightful. Like, I mean, I mean, I don't mean like insightful. I mean, it was he was inciting, um, really, like hateful stuff, really. Um, which kind of makes you think about our past in a way. Um, by the way, if 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 everybody uh, wants to watch a fabulous movie series, you should watch Vera Sharab's new five-part series. Um, I personally learned a lot from her. It's basically just uh, her interviewing people and them talking about their experiences. And it's very powerful. What's it called? Oh, gosh. I'm really sorry. It's Never Again is Now Global. Well, there have been a lot of good films made on lockdown. Safe and effective. It's an excellent one. Oh, excellent. I'll check that out. During the last many months, I've been interviewing everyone from the Great Barrington Declarance to Topher Field, who himself made a film on, it was called Battleground Melbourne, that was made about the lockdown in Melbourne that was quite draconian. And then I also had more recently a filmmaker from Los Angeles who made a film about this very subject of the horrible effects of the vaccine. Jennifer Sharp's wonderful film, Anecdotals. I actually wrote a substack about it. <laughs> she came on the show and I was just so impressed because making such a film could be the kiss of death for anyone's career in Hollywood. And I really loved the film. It was so factual. It wasn't just hyperbole or allusion through non-recurrent coincidences. Uh, it was really well done. And what I don't understand is how this was not brought into the mainstream. We won't see that getting any kind of Oscar nomination for a documentary, even though it probably should. These are the brave films, the people speaking out about what happened. We've gone over the antibody versus PCR tests. We haven't even touched upon the ridiculous mask lies that on and on and on. I just saw a doctor recently and she was wearing the N95 mask. Everyone else in the office was not. And I just said, I feel like I'm taking part of a theater. We're all wearing these flimsy masks. It's like taking the host and the wine at a mass. They themselves recognized that it was bunk. But you cannot go to see a doctor in many countries in the EU now without a mask. This has become the new normal. These masks that you might as well wear a piece of tissue in front of your face. Now, you just talk about this kind of coincidence, not of what happened, because we had lockdowns rolled out. And, and it's quite ironic. I'm sure you do this, too. Everyone I speak to, I ask him if they do this. Do you have you been watching lately CNN and the BBC and laugh when they talk about the cruelty of Shanghai's lockdown and so forth? Now, they're talking about that now and it's cruel, but they weren't saying that two and three years ago when we in Europe were being locked down constantly and cruelly. They weren't they weren't contesting any of this. How was it that we've come all the way from the PCR tests being used which increased the number, which increased the fear of people, made people fearful. 
this study that I just referred to earlier on that demonstrates, in fact, how people were told through public messaging on the streets, on the TV, stay two meters apart. Remember that? Yes. Was it one meter or two? How do we know how long a meter is? You know, what if I use the imperial system? Is that feet? How many feet is that? And do you remember when they started to try and help businesses out? So they put the restaurant outside in bubbles. And I had this meme I put up the other week saying, do you remember when you couldn't be inside restaurants? So they made the inside outside, but made the outside look like inside. And there was rows of these bubbles. And I had a good laugh because that was scientific bullshit. It was anti-science. There was nothing to, in fact, that was probably going to contaminate people much more having these two meter high plastic bubbles with no circulation of air than just being in the restaurant that had four meter high ceilings, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're just, you know, experimenting with the human zoo. You know, how how far can we get with the with people? How how much how, how far can we push them before they push back? That's all this is. And and people don't seem to remember that all of the power lies in them. All they have to do is say no. And you don't have to get mad. You don't have to get excited. You just have to say no. It's really that simple. No one can make you do anything. That is a fact. So unless you're like a kid and your parents are telling you to go to bed, then you should go to bed. Um, <laughs> anyone needs a laugh, by the way, because we all need a laugh these days. You should check out the Babylon Bee. They, they crack me up. <laughs> they have really, really good, like... Uh, um, stories like, for example, I, I'm not sure you're aware of this Grammy nonsense that every everyone has been posting about. I I just I had to get off Twitter because it's like every single person was posting this weird performance that happened there, and I'm like I don't want to have anything to do with that. So the Babylon Bee published their own version, and they said um, <laughs> it was something like uh, historic, controversial. A uh, woman fully clad in, in a gown sings beautiful song on stage. And <laughs> it was like, it was just their headline that it was so controversial and and uh, and racy <laughs> because she was wearing clothes. <laughs> yes, yes. Funny. I think you're referring to the Sam Smith nonsense. And oh, um, I don't know. that. Yes, it was Sam Smith who was nominated with another man for the Grammy. But of course, because that man, this is going in air quotes, identifies as a woman, then it's, oh, the first transition. And it's like all the feminists, this is another big subject I work on, lockdown, COVID stuff, and the trans debacle and women's human rights. And so all these women are on Twitter and Facebook the last few days saying, uh, a, a man won a Grammy. Because that's what it is. And of course, these kinds of performances are allowed. But let's skip back to Nipplegate. Remember that? There are two measuring sticks when it comes to women and when it comes to men who identify as women. And if this seems off topic, let me tell you something. I don't think that these are unrelated. Oh, 
personal. In the build-up to lockdown, I've been working for 10 years on the subject of the gender wars, and it is phenomenal. Do you know that there are medical schools around the U.S. and Canada that are teaching their cadre of students that there are more than two sexes? Yes. When we know that intersex is not a third sex. And so now you have people that couldn't finish their GSCs in the U.K. without knowing basic science. Now you are churning out a generation of medical professionals who believe that humans are not sexually dimorphic. I mean, this is insanity. So I've told people in recent years, and even on this show, if you can convince a population that lesbians have penises, of course, lockdown's a no-brainer. People were very willing to purity posture themselves into their homes, but was always those people from a certain sociopolitical class. And this is where the left and right wars got fucked up in a major way. And I saw this already from the gender stuff I was working on, that the left was no longer the left and the right might be the emerging new left. And I've seen it over and over and over. It's amazing to see because I am an old school leftist Marxist even. But what I was not seeing amongst these people like AOC and all these morons on the Hill, I'm bi-national, by the way, I'm both Canadian and American, watching that parade of insanity Just like the Sam Smith nonsense at the Grammys that I thankfully did not subject myself to see, I now realize so many things about the right that we do need to appreciate. And one is that like or hate the right, at least they know what biological reality is. And they (laughs) were the class of politicians standing up for the rights of people to speak to speak against all of this nonsense that we're talking about. And we could be wrong. Let's say tomorrow a study comes out that shows that what we're saying right now is wrong. Well, that's part of a healthy democracy to be able to speak and be wrong. And somehow during the last decade and a half, it has become verboten to say that lesbians don't like penis, you know, like that's something I've, I've written articles on. And sometimes I do crack up. I'm in the supermarket and I think of something I read on Twitter and I laugh my ass off and people are looking at me like I'm insane. But I mean, that's my uh, intellectual life sometimes since lockdown. It's me, myself and I in the supermarket. So I I don't think that these are at all far-fetched because what we have faced these last three years most definitively, but I would say from where the likes of lesbians with penises goes, the last 15 years has been an onslaught of men's rights activism that has tried to rip asunder the rights of women and children. And I say children because, as you may or may not know, we've had him on the show, Billboard Chris, but he's a Canadian father who's been going around Canada to publicize the fact that kids are being sterilized in Canada. Yet you turn on the CBC and they'll be talking about having interred the bones of all these native Canadians who decades ago, because of the Irish nuns, this and that. But wait a second, let's talk about today. It's like where I'm living at the local library here. They had psychologists come to speak about the most appalling thing ever, bullying in schools. I couldn't attend because it was too late, but I wrote the city council here and I complained about it because I said, this is like being on the Titanic and the ship sinking and you're saying, but the wallpaper's ugly. Like I don't, bullying's important, but no, it's not what we should be discussing after having been subjected to the kind of human rights abuses that we have been subjected to here in Italy. It's been horrific. And now I get to see Mussolini. Every other art exposition here is 
not you know fascismo mussolini i i mean i it's, i've gotten to the point where i want to have a t-shirt on my chest of something that says like i love mussolini fuck you i i want i want to talk about what's happened to us the last 3 years that's the fascism it's now yeah. and it's so easy for people to point to schindler's list and i have a lot to say about argumentum ad hitlerium and it's used even around the feminists, by the way, because if you know that men have penises, then you're responsible for the Holocaust if you go on that part of Twitter. The reality <laughs> is that people have been assaulting what heritage we have from the Enlightenment. And this is serious because the Enlightenment is where humans in the West, especially, but it didn't just happen in the West. And it didn't happen at the same time, by the way, in the Muslim world. It happened even earlier, but that's another discussion. Um, we started to interrogate knowledge. We started to interrogate what we know and why we know it and the institutions that tell us why we should know what we know. Now, we abandon all of that. And as I mentioned earlier, post 9-11 in the U.S. with the, the forming of Homeland Security, what vile name. Anyways, they, they did that. <laughs> No, but it's amazing because even when Obama came into office, he should have, frankly, gotten that just taken that name off the books because it's the most disgusting thing. I just can't believe any sitting U.S. president allows that name to stay there. Homeland Security. They talk about Trump's wall. That's worse in many respects. But I'm just really outraged by the fact that so many people folded like a deck of cards. A lot of these feminist groups I'm in about the trans issue, a lot of those women were offended. I posted in a group one day asking for information from other journalists and just asking a question meant I was against lockdown. I was against everything that I thought the virus was a fiction. And I'm like, I don't know what you've been smoking, but send it my way because <laughs> no, no, this is just, I mean, I'm asking a question and I don't know what we are all thinking here. We're asking questions about men's rights to come into our prison cells and our hospital wards, our right to be physically searched by a female police officer. Now, if you can get to that stage of intellectual criticism, I don't know why you can't ask yourself why being locked up in our homes is a good thing or not. Like, so many people, Jessica, were not willing to go there. And if you dare, I know people who were exiled from their own families for asking these questions. I know people who are still exiled from their families for asking questions. Um, yeah, wow. That, you, you're, I agree with you 100%. I think that um, it happened, it, it, it must have happened with ease because people were primed. And it all connects to this concept of attack on humanity. Part of humans for me is, of course, you know, we have men, we have women, we have children, we have families. And I think that, I, I mean, I'm, I'm extending a little bit, but I'm absolutely sure that I'm right about this, that this has also been kind of an attack or there has been an attack for a long time on the, the family unit. Um, you know, I, I've I've talked to many people about the fact that um, the 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 women's uh, movement, get women into the workforce and get them independent, and all this is is actually a ruse to kind of break up the family unit. And and I'm like, hmm, that's an interesting idea. Uh, and I've considered it. And then you know, I look around at the fact that the last two years has seen so many people get broken up. I mean, families, partners 
children from their parents. I mean, wow. If if this was part of, you know, a a a divisive plan to divide people, wow, was it ever successful? I mean, I I can't believe it actually still, but um on, on a positive note, uh, Bethany Hamilton, uh, who is one of my heroines, um, she had her arm bitten off by a shark when she was a little girl. And I, I know the that surgeon story. who, yeah, she's amazing. She is an absolutely, she, she's not a human being. She's like something else. She is so supernaturally amazing. Um, anyway, I know I know the surgeon who fixed her up and she survived and became like one of the best female surfers in the world to this day. Uh, she's also a mom, but she's recently come out and said if they allow uh, men, you know, um, calling themselves women to participate on the circuit because the WSL, the World Surf League is clearly, you know, divided between males and females because I'm sorry, I'm a surfer, I'm a pro surfer, and we surf different. We have different uh, strengths, literally, physically, we have different strengths, we have different techniques, we have different, uh, you know, ways of thinking, you know, um, just, just you can transfer that to anything when you think about men and women being different. But she said, if they do that, then she's going to boycott uh, the circuit. So it's like, yes, good for you. Uh, because it's like, I, I mean, I'm sure that boils you to the core. I don't know you very well, but from what I've heard you say, um, to 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 allow a, a man, a, you know, a, a person that was born as a biological man to participate in a in a female uh, athletic event is is absurd. I mean, you know, it's it, and and we can't even. I mean, I'm even hesitating to say it now. It's so crazy how we're so like primed, you know, to watch what we say about this, which is so dumb. Because men and women are different, and men are stronger physically in many cases. They are. Uh, men are taller in a lot of, uh, you you know, in a lot of cases, etc. So anyway, I, I I understand you when you when you make cases that this is all linked because I think it is too. And if it's not inherently linked, it, it's barebacking on the other one. Well, look, when they did lockdown, they knew exactly who was going to be losing their jobs in Italy and France and Spain. It was women. They knew exactly who was going to be having to do all night shifts of, I did it. I barely slept for 2020 and 2021. It was awful. You have to do homeschooling on what time and still make a living? I mean, right. these were absolute right. morons who came up with the idea. Absolute morons. And then they complain because Italy has a very high percentage of female physicians. Well, of course, they're going to stay home because the salaries aren't that great. They're, they're not that great that they can pay for childcare if they live in a small town where hiring someone is going to be very difficult. So we, we've seen a complete failure of public health. We've seen a lack of trust now extended towards public health, the CDC, the FDA, in Canada, the same institutions, although, you know, healthcare there is by province. Now we have the bunk around masks. We're seeing it in the U.S. Some states are starting or some places are starting masks again, despite scientific evidence. What's going on, Jess, that people are unable to understand basic science? I mean, look at Dr. Asim Malhotra, who once supported the vaccines and then he did an about face. Some people might say it's because of his father's death and that personalizes it. And sometimes people go all out. But 
we know that vaccines go through a vetting period that is on average eight to 10 years, not what we saw. That's right. I mean, exactly. I, again, I don't think most people realize that if you, if you have, um, like just for conventional vaccines, conventional vaccines are not what has been being injected into people for the last two years. Okay. Normally we have, uh, like a, a viral, a virus that's attenuated, packaged up in another virus, et cetera, which is delivered to induce, um, an immune response broad spectrum because there's a whole bunch of proteins um, being responded to to provide you protective immunity um, for life. I think I caught out there. Um, but yeah, so if you have one of these products, uh, it takes between five and 15 years to get from concept to arm because you have a number of steps that you have to go through uh, in the way of clinical trials and animal testing and approval by the FDA, biologics people, um, it's it's a it's a long arduous process and it's very very important because you don't want to mess something like that up. Um, it doesn't even matter if your product is effective if it's not safe. Who gives a crap? So I mean, if people had just known, first of all, I mean we we still. By we, I mean anybody who acknowledges that these products are not conventional vaccines by any means at all. Uh, two completely different technologies are being used on people right now. They had gone through up to a year of safety testing, all combined. Uh, phase one and two trials were overlapped. Phase three trials were less than six months. Animal trials were done simultaneously. I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous what they call safety trials. And to top it all off, now that we have the data released by FOIA request, which they tried to hide, we can see that their data is crap. It looks terrible. I mean, if anybody, you just have to show the public one, one photo or one screenshot or one image and explain to them very simply what it means. And they would be like, what? Why have they been telling us it's safe and effective? And you can imagine the shitstorm that would happen if that came to fruition, because you would have absolute chaos in the streets if people, I, I mean, really had that eureka moment when they snapped out of it. I was thinking about this on my walk today. I walk every day and I'm like, what is it going to take to to get someone out of that safe and effective narrative mindset into reality, because that's really what we're talking about here. We, we have to do something. I don't know if it's cold water on the face or literally slapping them like they did an airplane or, or what it's going to take. But it's like that moment, it's going to be real important if it happens to, I don't know, say 15% more of the population. Imagine the outrage, the public outrage because they all believed that this was about public health, all of them. And it's not, never has been. It's a joke. It's like any, any name that has the word health in it now or medicine or, 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 or help. It's like, beware people. I'm serious. I'm not joking right now. Beware if you see a name of, of an institution that has the word health in it. Well, you wrote on Twitter not so long ago 
I'm pretty sure that the original virus construct has a backbone from a normal coronavirus embedded with designer spike proteins designed to wreck the human body. What does what did you mean by that? Uh, literally what I wrote. Um, no, this is very uh, controversial, mm -hmm. even if uh, even in the circles of people that I know. And, and we, we all love each other and we're all having feisty debates all the time amongst ourselves as to what we're actually dealing right. with here. Uh, because amazingly, because they're trade secrets, um, we don't actually know um, not just because of the trade secret, but, you know, because of handling issues and, and uh, production issues, we don't actually know what's in each of the vials as per the mRNA template. So what I was referring to was the original design. Um, if, you know, the, the coronavirus was constructed in a lab, um, which I think that it was, um, I think that it makes a lot of sense because they're doing this. There are publications that uh, that explain very clearly that this is going on in the world, that they use constructs, back backbones of certain viruses as the construct, and then they embed them with other proteins and do experiments. This is how they, you know, try and develop better vaccines against pathogens, et cetera. This is going on. So I'm proposing that that's what this was, the original thing that got out. Um, you know, it, it either escaped or was released. Um, I don't know which one. Uh, so I think it was uh, probably the whole thing was was synthesized. I, I think that the spike protein, in particular, I think is a synthetic construct. And from what I'm reading in in the peer reviewed literature, and this is what I go on. I'm not in a lab right now. I'm not doing these experiments myself. Um, that would be the best thing, but I'm going on what the publications are showing, um, which I also take with a grain of salt, but it seems to me, uh, and also from, of course, from the adverse event reporting that's going on in all the, the pharmacovigilance databases around the world that are all telling the same story of damage, um, this spike protein is really, really, really dangerous to humans. Uh, for a number of reasons. It seems to be uh, highly linked to uh, new autoimmune conditions or reactivation of existing ones. It seems to be connected to cancers. It seems to be connected to immune deficiencies. It seems to be causing reactivations of latent viral infections. It seems to be causing uh, thrombotic events like out the yin-yang. It seems to be causing myocarditis. It seems to be causing fibrosis. And, and so it's, it, it, all of these things can be explained uh, with certain peptides that you can link back to the spike protein, such as amyloidogenic peptides, um, which, if they are um, if they are present, they would cause they would potentially. I, I'll put the word potentially in there. Cause uh, the formation of amyloid plaques wherever they land, and this myocarditis thing, in my opinion, isn't being diagnosed properly most of the time, I think what we're dealing with is cardiac amyloidosis, which is, you know, the deposition of uh, fibrotic material in place of the, the myocardium, which would dis disallow the heart to beat properly. Um, it could be that we're seeing amyloid plaque formation in people's brains, which is why we're seeing so many neurological conditions. It could be that we're seeing uh, plaque formation in the blood vessels from the, the damage to the lining. Uh, from the immune responses to the spike protein embedded in and being presented on cells, um, which is causing larger um, clots, which we're seeing um, 
there's a paper that was published that showed that the clots that are formed in the context of ARDS for COVID is, are, are much denser and larger than the clots formed in ARDS in flu setting. So there's something different about um, the pathology associated with SARS. Um, and so that's why I'm thinking along the lines of this being, um, the reason why I say it was constructed in synthetic is because this uh, certain, there's a certain peptide that we know is in the spike protein of the original strain of SARS-2 virus that is not in the SARS virus. And there are also um, uh, indications that it was put there. It didn't arise from nature, which was, which in the first place would be highly unlikely because you have four separate amino acids, which is, you know, 12 nucleotides. The likelihood of those guys all mutating at once in that one position is next to nothing. Uh, combine that with cutting sites, you know, that indicate that, you know, this was put there on purpose. <laughs> um, it seems to me that uh, the fact that the spherin cleavage site actually makes this version of the virus more infectious, kind of makes me think that, yeah, that's not an accident. Um, I don't know why they did that. I don't know if they were experimenting with this virus in order to produce a so-called better vaccine. I don't know yet, but... Um, those are the justifications and the bases for why I wrote that. Still investigating. Where should our listeners be paying attention? Because as you've probably seen in the news, and, and there's always uh, types of epidemics on the horizon, maybe pandemics, but now there's another avian flu, right? Where should people read? It's bullshit? Yes. So see, even me, I can't tell where to read. Where should we be paying attention in terms of this? Because one thing I became acutely aware in the early weeks of lockdown here was that we were being lied to. Nothing made sense. There were not any any kinds of systems brought in to help the elderly and those at risk. We were just locked down. Mm -hmm. There were no rule changes. When you have to get your driving test here, you have to take so many hours of classes and courses and then sit for there the were test. There no biohazard bins for the, for the horribly infectious masks. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Where should we be getting our news on this from now on? Because clearly I watch the BBC, the NBC. I, I watch everything just to know where the bullshit is and to point it out. Because now if you watch the CBC, it's just like watching Hello Magazine with voices. These are really neoliberal publications that don't care at all about the elderly, they don't care about the poor, they don't care about scientific truth. How does the average person know where to get their science information from? Yeah, it's a really good question. All right, well, I can tell you what my experience has been, um, but, but I'm I'm kind of biased because I'm, I'm an academic science nerd. Um, not a word of a lie, uh, Substack, uh, uh, it, it's it's a writing platform, um, but it's full of really intelligent people with all kinds of backgrounds, from medical doctors to lawyers, who are who've kind of either made this their career or as in, have integrated it into their current careers. Um, the writing component of what's going on. Uh, in, in their field, in their realm, uh, almost daily. I do this. Um, I, I, I read 
really heavy science journals and I um, regurgitate them for people to um, to understand. Um, I also do like uh, current events on one of my other Substack newsletters. The reason I say that is because you'll find a lot of people doing what I'm doing, which is like um, making scientific journals that are heavy potable. So you'll find that a lot on Substack. Um, you know, there are, if, if you're not really into the reading thing, you can go for videos and you got to be careful though, because there are a lot of so-called alternative media channels. Um, and on all of them, you're going to find a lot of junk, uh, but you're going to find a lot of high quality too. So the best way to sift through it, uh, I, I, I think just watch a lot and use your common sense. I don't know how else to put it. Um, and, and my first instinct when you asked me that was, well, first of all, you know, un unless you're a journalist and you need to know both sides of the story, don't go anywhere near legacy media. Um, ignore that because it rots your brain. Um, you need an antidote to that, as far as I'm concerned, like a, really a vaccine. Long walk, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but talk to your neighbors, talk to um, people in your community, keep your keep your ears to the ground locally um, and, and, and don't just listen, but talk like try and engage people um, in conversation about what's happened, even though people are more uh, showing a tendency from what I can see to have no idea what I'm talking about when I say, what do you think of what happened in the last two years? <laughs> um, but try and engage people because you never know how many people are like really want to talk about what happened. They might actually not have coped as well as others, and they might be traumatized uh, by what happened and and haven't been able to talk about it because it's like really taboo to even like mention the fact that you feel violated that someone's trying to force something into your skull um, in the way of a PTR probe. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think that's really the way to go. Um, you know, I, I know that there's this um, stupid thing that was going around. It was another tactic, another psyop saying, making fun of people who are saying, do your own research. But I actually advocate that because I, I actually think much more highly of human beings than most people. I think that we all have the capacity to be, um, uniquely creative and I think we're all intelligent in our own way and so I think if you allow yourself to investigate who you are by doing your own research uh, i.e. reading listening watching talking um, you you'll probably get a better idea of what's going on in the world as a general rule and then you'll 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 be more equipped and also more empowered to make your own bloody decisions. Because like I said before, it's like no one can make you do anything. I know that people were coerced. I know that people have families and they need to feed their families. And so they, they feel they have buyer's remorse now because they had to get the jab because they wanted to keep their job. But I'm telling you, no one can make you do shit. You can always get a new job, you know. And if you do have kids, they're watching what you're doing. And if you're worried about the shots, you know, maybe don't get another one to set an example type thing. Again, I'm not I'm not passing judgment. 
um, because everybody's different and everyone's got their own story. But um, yeah, I think uh, personal sovereignty just has to be maintained. Uh, I think, you know, regional sovereignty has to be maintained because in addition to humanity being under attack, those things are under attack. And if we lose our personal sovereignty, there's no life. Thank you.